Hi, my name's Doug. Welcome to the first episode of my show, History Out of the Closet. I created this show to document the history that probably wasn't taught to you in school. I sure wasn't taught this in school, and it's something that I guess we have to teach ourselves. And I really hope that Gen Z is learning about this stuff in school now. Today, we're talking about Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the U.S. military's former policy on gays and lesbians in uniform. Let's get started. Part 1. Asking and Telling Have you heard of Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Your answer will probably vary depending on your age. It was a policy in the military between 1993 and 2011 where gay people were allowed to serve if they kept it a secret that they were gay, and in turn the military wouldn't ask or investigate troops. Did that work? We'll find out. But what was it like to be gay in the military before Don't Ask, Don't Tell? That's what I wanted to know when I started researching. Going back to the American Revolution, the Civil War, and World War I, troops were being discharged if they committed a homosexual act. Gay as an identity was almost inconceivable as a concept during this period of history, so instead, the military punished soldiers for the actions. You weren't gay, but you could be doing something that was gay. So if you were caught doing something sexual with a member of the same sex, you'd be court-martialed and dishonorably discharged. By the time World War II came, things changed. Now they began considering that gay was some part of a person's identity and a person could be homosexual. They began screening people during enlistment and were choosing to refuse people. They were also discharging people. In 1942, they did these things called blue discharges, and it was an administrative type of discharge. It wasn't honorable or dishonorable, but it was still viewed negatively. And the big difference here was no more court-martial. The commanding officer could quickly kick a service member out with no veterans benefits and no due process. In 1944, things changed again slightly. No more blue discharge, now it would be called Section 8, discharging a service member due to a mental illness. Now, both of these things are important because they're in the middle of World War II. You don't have the time and the resources to do a full trial, a full investigation, so let's give the control and power to just the commanding officer. If someone was outed, they would receive an undesirable discharge, post-1944. If they were caught committing a homosexual act, they would be dishonorably discharged. Now, the difference for me between undesirable and dishonorable, it's slight. I mean, I don't see the big difference. Both are bad. Both made the soldier lose their job and lose their veterans' benefits. Something I found when I was doing this research, did you know that Harvey Milk was in the Navy during the Korean War? I had no idea. Um, He was discharged, but we don't know if it had anything to do with him being gay. So I got to remind myself to do an episode on him in the future. In the 70s, lawsuits were being filed by gay service members. Not many of them were successful. Stonewall happened in 1969, and no doubt these lawsuits in the 70s are a result of or a response to the gay liberation movement. Since their inception, our military forces have had an absolute ban on homosexuals. Now a decorated Air Force sergeant who has had three tours in Vietnam is going to court to challenge that ban. On March 6th, Sergeant Leonard Matlovich disclosed to a supervising officer at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia that he was a homosexual and wanted to stay in the Air Force. Last week, the Air Force moved to discharge him, and Matlovich, with a team of lawyers, plans this as a classic test case, if necessary, all the way to the Supreme Court. Today, Jed Duvall asked the 31-year-old sergeant about his decision to disclose his homosexuality. You should just tear me apart on the inside when I... In conversations here, people say that, you know, we're discharging this queer or that queer, throwing them out of the Air Force. On the inside, I just burn up with, you know, just 
am I a coward here and I'm just going to stand here and never really coming up to protection of uh, my fellow minority group and men and women in the gay group and just keeping quiet and my conscience just wouldn't let me do it anymore. I had to come forward and say, no more America. What has been the reaction in the Air Force and, and among uh, the people that you work with, your personal friends? Well, you know, I really geared myself for the worst. I thought, well, once I do this, uh, no one's going to talk to me in the office. They're going to pay no more attention to me, put me down, wisecracks and all this. And absolutely the opposite's happened. Uh, people have come up to me and have been over-friendly to me. Uh, what can I say? So as you just heard in the clip there, Leonard Matlovich was a service member in the Air Force. He came out, he was discharged, and then he sued the Air Force to be reinstated because of a clause that said in extenuating circumstances, gays could serve. It took five years, and when the Air Force couldn't come up with a reason why he wasn't included in these extenuating circumstances, the judge ordered him to be reinstated. Instead, Matlovich took a cash payout because he feared, and rightly so, that they'd find another reason to discharge him if he did re-enter service. Now, they changed the rules. They got rid of that extenuating circumstances clause after this lawsuit. And then, sadly, Matlovich died of AIDS in the late 80s. With these lawsuits, there were two ways that outed gay service members could keep their jobs. One was that they can prove that they were out and honest about their sexuality when they enlisted and the military accepted them anyways. Or two, they were uh, sarcastically a queen for a day or they were drunk. Um, a queen for a day was an excuse that when used, it was somebody who was engaging in a homosexual act by chance, by accident, or maybe because they were drunk, but they weren't gay. It was just sort of a slip-up. You'd be reprimanded, but you could still serve in these cases. In the 80s, things changed again with the rules. No more queen for a day, they got rid of that, and no exceptional circumstances. The Department of Defense provided a clear definition of what was not permitted, and they give their reasoning why, if you can call it that. The main takeaway, homosexuality is incompatible with military service. They say that gay people prevent mutual trust and confidence between service members. They disrupt the system of rank and command, and disrupt the minimal privacy when living and working in close conditions. These all sound like bullshit reasons. The one reason I do think was influential was that they wanted to maintain the public acceptability of military service. So it was all about appearances and giving in to religious conservatives and how they view their country and their army. Also, they mentioned that banning gays was a way to prevent security breaches. This is something that we'll make an episode about in the future, but security breaches by gays was a concern because during the Cold War, they thought that the USSR would blackmail gay people in the closet and get them to reveal state secrets. Isn't it contradictory? Foster mutual trust and confidence among service members. But by banning gays, it encourages lying about your sexuality to remain in the closet and keep your job. So if you were found out to be gay in the 80s, you'd be discharged honorably or generally in the same category as a disability. The military didn't allow married women to enlist and serve up until the 1960s, and pregnant women wouldn't be allowed to serve until the 70s. So it's no shocker that lesbians were enlisting, because out of the women that could serve, they were some of the ones that fit into that strict category of not being married and not having children. The 80s, things started to loosen up in society and people were feeling more okay with gays and lesbians. Democratic candidates campaigned on lifting the ban. President Clinton included in his campaign promises to end the ban. In 1992, before Don't Ask, Don't Tell was implemented, a soldier, Alan Schindler, 22 years old, who fought in Desert Storm, 
was going to the bathroom in Japan where his ship was stationed. He was just on his way back to the ship and stopped to take a leak. He was suddenly attacked by two of his fellow troops without warning. His pants were still down from urinating when they punched him in the side of the head. He fell to the ground and the attacker stomped on his face, his neck, his chest, and his abdomen. His internal organs were destroyed, his nose was gone, and he was unrecognizable. The only way he could be identified was by a tattoo. He was murdered for being gay. The attacker said after the attack that he hated gay people and that that was why he did it. He was afraid. He was sentenced to life in prison, and he's rotting there still to this day. Part 2. Don't Ask, Don't Tell. If you look at the last 10 years of experience here, according to the reports we have, that this country spent $500 million in tax dollars to separate something under 16,500 homosexuals from the service in the face of, and, and, and has dealt with complaints at least of sexual abuse, heterosexual abuse, largely against women, far greater volumes. But during this period, we have plainly had the best educated, best trained, most cohesive military force in the history of the United States. It, it, everybody, ask anybody in the Joint Chiefs will tell you that. The, they agreed that we should stop asking the question. This single thing that is dividing people on this debate. I want to make it very clear what this is. This is a very narrow issue. It is whether a person, in the absence of any other disqualifying conduct, can simply say that he or she is homosexual and stay in the service. Clinton couldn't lift the ban like he promised during his campaign. Instead, he compromised to appease conservatives and military leaders. The new policy in 1993, which went into force in 1994, would be that gays, lesbians, and bisexuals could serve as long as they stayed in the closet. That's the don't tell part. The military was not supposed to ask anything about sexuality at enlistment, and they were not supposed to do witch hunts to try to find out if a service member was gay. They could only investigate if they witnessed something themselves or if they had credible information from a credible source. If they actually followed through with this policy, we might be able to say that it was a good stepping stone to lifting the ban entirely. Now, queer service members could stay closeted, but they could also be relieved from the stress that they must constantly be looking over their shoulder, wondering who's watching or who's trying to figure them out. The problem was that the witch hunt continued. The don't ask part of the policy, along with the added don't harass and don't pursue, were ignored. The policy was just for appearances, for the military and for the president. The same people that would vote to cut defense $177 billion, the same ones that would put homos in the military, the same ones that would not fund BRAC, the same Mr. ones Chairman. that would not clear up. Mr. No, Chairman. I will not. Sit down, you socialist. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. The gentleman, you. Parliamentary inquiry, Mr. Chairman. Do we have to call the gentleman a gentleman uh, if he's not one? Mr. The gentleman from Vermont has been recognized for a period of five minutes, and you may now proceed. I thank the chairman very much would like the opportunity if the gentleman from California would respond just to ask him a brief question if I might now my ears may have playing been playing a trick on me but I thought I heard the gentleman a moment ago say something quote unquote about homos in the military was I right in hearing that expression absolutely putting homosexuals in the military you said something about homos in the military 
Was the gentleman referring to the many thousands and thousands of gay people who have put their lives on the line in countless wars defending this country? I'm was talking, that the group of people that the gentleman was referring to? I'm talking about the military people in the military do not support That's not the what we were bill. talking about. You use the word homos in the military. You have insulted thousands of men and women who have put their lives on the line. I'm talking about you and liberals like you that keep the foreign defense. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Reclaiming my time. That's a familiar voice. Bernie Sanders made these comments in 1995, right in the middle of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And it's important to recognize that there were people defending gay people, Bernie being one of them. Another tragic story. In 1999, Barry Winchell, a service member who was dating a trans woman, uh, an actress you might know, Calpurnia Adams, he was being harassed regularly with gay slurs by his fellow troops. And while he slept, one of his fellow soldiers took a bat and hit him in the head five times, killing him. The perpetrator is serving a life sentence. I hope he rots. I hope the commanding officer who allowed this atmosphere of homophobia rots. But he was exonerated, and he received a promotion. The Department of Defense even created a comic book to help teach troops how to deal with the discovery of a gay service member. It defines what a credible source is and who to snitch to. It looks really silly, and I encourage you to Google it and check it out. In the 1980s, 17,000 queer service members were discharged. With Don't Ask, Don't Tell in place in the 90s and the 2000s, there were 13,650 discharges of queer people. I wouldn't call that a success. Leading up to 9-11, seven Arabic language specialists were discharged because they were gay. On September 10th, U.S. intelligence intercepted a cable from Al-Qaeda saying, Tomorrow is zero hour. Pretty clear. The message, though, wasn't translated or acted upon at that time. The military was severely understaffed for Arabic-speaking translators. We'll never know if those seven that were fired would have been able to do anything to prevent the 9-11 attacks. This just goes to show you that Don't Ask, Don't Tell affects a lot more than you can think of. After 9-11, there was a dip in the discharges. The country is at war, so we can look the other way about the gay stuff and send you off to Afghanistan anyway. All of a sudden, I guess gays would not impair the military mission anymore. More lawsuits were filed against the military, one uh, by Tim McVeigh, not the Oklahoma City terrorist, a different one. The Navy had spied on his email account and actually contacted AOL to get more information. He was discharged after serving for 17 years, when he never should have been investigated in the first place. He won the lawsuit, AOL and the Navy paid him damages, and he receives a full veteran's benefit now. His lawsuit was arguing that the policy was not being followed. His lawsuit wasn't arguing against the policy itself, but the fact that he shouldn't have been investigated because there was no credible information. It was, it was clearly a witch hunt. Another case, the Log Cabin Republicans versus United States in 2010, and don't get this confused, Log Cabins Republicans is a gay Republican organization. They were arguing that Don't Ask, Don't Tell violates their right to free speech, due process, and open association. The judge ruled in favor of the log cabin Republicans and granted an injunction which prohibited the Department of Defense from enforcing Don't Ask, Don't Tell globally, and it must suspend any investigation or discharge procedures that were already in progress. Now, the injunction was stayed, so unfortunately that means that Don't Ask, Don't Tell could still be enforced while the Department of Justice appealed the decision. A lot of back-and-forth legal procedures took place until President Obama was finally able to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell in 2011.
Part 3, Ban Lifted. September 20th, 2011, the ban of gays and lesbians serving in the military was lifted, and Don't Ask, Don't Tell was no more. So this morning, I am proud to sign a law that will bring an end to Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It is a law This law I'm about to sign will strengthen our national security and uphold the ideals that our fighting men and women risked their lives to defend. No longer will our country be denied the service of thousands of patriotic Americans who were forced to leave the military, regardless of their skills, no matter their bravery or their zeal, no matter their years of exemplary performance, because they happen to be gay. No longer will tens of thousands of Americans in uniform be asked to live a lie or look over their shoulder in order to serve the country that they love. As Admiral Mike Mullen has said, our people sacrifice a lot for their country, including their lives. None of them should have to sacrifice their integrity as well. That's why I believe this is the right thing to do for our military. That's why I believe it is the right thing to do, period. Now, many fought long and hard to reach this day. I want to thank the Democrats and Republicans who put conviction ahead of politics to get this done together. Homophobia was still around, of course, and not all service members were accepting of the change. Our religion is being put aside just so that, we, so that I can accept, you know, someone else's preference sexually. Um, is anybody telling you what to believe? Since it's a personal private matter, it's not really open for discussion. Nobody's trying to change your mind. Nobody's trying to change their mind. What comes first, religion or sexuality? Because if somebody uh, is very religious and they or I guess uh, against it in, in several ways, are they gonna, is, is it bad for them to go say, hey, I don't wanna be a roommate with uh, that person because of their sexuality? We already serve with gays and lesbians and bisexuals. I mean, it's just a matter of them being able to talk about it now. People live in the barracks and have to live, share the same rooms with them and shower with them. That's, personally, it would make me uncomfortable. Things were getting better. The Marines began recruiting in the LGBT community, and some service members who were previously discharged because they were gay were able to re-enlist. For the first time ever, queer service members marched in San Diego's Pride Parade wearing their uniforms. Service members contributed a video to the It Gets Better campaign. If you remember what that campaign was about, it was telling LGBT youth that things will get better in an effort to prevent suicide. The military didn't fall apart because the ban was lifted. I mean, did that much really change? There were hundreds of thousands of gay people serving in secret before. Gays and lesbians could now talk about their children, they could talk about their partner, or just what they did over the weekend, and things weren't crumbling down. Everything was still okay. Is everything better now in the U.S. military? The answer is no. 
trans people who were allowed to serve openly from 2016 were then banned by President Trump, which took effect in 2019. He attributed the ban to the cost of gender reassignment surgery and hormone replacement therapy. Really, there's no more there than it's just transphobia. A coward like him who lied to get out of serving in Vietnam shouldn't have any authority over who's allowed to serve their country. What was the policy like in other countries? I'm Canadian, and did you know there was also a ban on homosexuals in the Canadian military? If someone was suspected of being gay, they were investigated and released from duty. In 1992, a service member, Michelle Douglas, brought the issue to court, and let's listen to her tell her story. One day, despite my really positive career, I was called into my boss's office and was confronted about uh, my sexual orientation. After some really difficult experiences, um, interrogations, uh, you know, kind of polygraph exams, I was dismissed honorably, but as being not advantageously employable due to homosexuality. It's unimaginable that the discrimination was so overt, was so codified. This idea that you'd be fired on that basis, you read about that in other places, but uh, it did happen in Canada. I reluctantly came to, to sue the government about this. I knew what had happened to me was wrong. It was clearly discriminatory. And in the end, the courts very quickly um, agreed. In fact, on the eve of what was scheduled to be a three-week trial at the federal court, the government of Canada um, settled the matter and agreed immediately to end the policy of discrimination in the Canadian Armed Forces. So people got their their pay raises, they got their, their ranks restored to proper grade. And I like to think of it as they also had their dignity restored. People who want to serve in the military can do so now, regardless of their sexual orientation. I mean, that then feels like such a big victory. Uh, one for equality, respect, it felt great. In 2017, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau apologized to the LGBTQ community who were fired from their jobs in the armed forces and the For state-sponsored systemic oppression and rejection, we are sorry. For suppressing two-spirit indigenous values and beliefs, we are sorry. For abusing the power of the law and making criminals of citizens, we are sorry. To all the LGBTQ2 people across this country who we have harmed in countless ways, we are sorry. To those who were left broken by a prejudiced system and to those who took their own lives, we have failed you. For stripping you of your dignity, for robbing you of your potential, for treating you like you were dangerous, indecent, and flawed, we are sorry. To the victims of the purge who were surveilled, interrogated, and abused, who were forced to turn on their friends and colleagues who lost wages, lost health, and lost loved ones, we betrayed you. And we are so sorry. To those who were fired, to those who resigned, to those who stayed, 
at a great personal and professional cost. To those who wanted to serve but never got the chance because of who you are, you should have been permitted to serve your country. and You were stripped of that option. We are sorry. We were wrong. Indeed, all Canadians missed out on important contributions you could have, would have made to our society. You were not bad soldiers, sailors, airmen and women. You were not predators, and you were not criminals. You served your country with integrity and courage. You are professionals, you are patriots, and above all, you are innocent. For all your suffering, you deserve justice, you deserve peace. It is our collective shame that you were so mistreated. And it is our collective shame that this apology took so long. Many who suffered are no longer alive to hear these words. And for that, we are truly sorry. A class action lawsuit brought against the government was filed, and in 2018, it was settled with a multi-million dollar fund to be paid out to the fired troops and public servants. A little late, many of these people have already died, and they died knowing that Canada didn't do right by them. In 1992, there should have been an apology. There should have been financial compensation. Indeed, some people were allowed to re-enlist, they received their promotions, and they went on serving their country. But for some, it was too late. Thank you for listening. Since this is the first episode, I would appreciate so much if you could give it a rating on Apple or Spotify and subscribe for new weekly episodes. Thanks.